Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Behind the Business podcast with me, Danny Champion. This episode is with Danny Roberts, A&R manager at Decca Records, part of Universal. Uh, this episode was also recorded back at the tail end of July, a very, very hot July day, just towards the end of the World Cup, just after everything went horribly wrong for England. Danny is a very old friend of mine. Myself and Dan actually went to the same university and did the same course together. So it was really good sitting him down and finding out much, much more about his day-to-day life and existence at Decca Records. He's a very insightful person. He's a very eloquent person. And so it was really good to, to sit down with him. We discussed everything from some of the work that he's doing currently, some of the new signings that he's working with, his motivations, the way that he goes about being an A&R person was the main through thread of this conversation. Everybody does it differently, so I wanted to find out a little bit more about Danny's take on this. So you don't want to listen to me rabbit on. I'm done. On with the show. What are you listening to at the moment? What's floating your boat? Um, This is probably not the way you're going to want to start the conversation, but I would, I would say I'm probably listening to less stuff now than I did before I, <laughs> I did A&R, okay. only because I'm listening to so much music that I have signed that I work with on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, at the moment, there's an act called the Teskey Brothers, mm-hmm. who, um, when this goes out, hopefully uh, they will have signed the dotted line and signed to Decca Records, but um, they're a band that I've been working on signing for nine months. Right. It's been the longest wow. uh, negotiation and the longest kind of journey trying to sign a band I've ever experienced. Why has it taken so long? Um, very complicated uh, in terms of territory, really. Okay. Um, we've got an Australian band who would like a US home, would like a European home, would like um, a home in Australia, so they weren't looking for a worldwide deal. So when you've got when you work for a company like Universal Music, whose mantra, uh, whose kind of goal is to sign for the world, yeah, that can be quite challenging. So um, you've got previous with that though. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I have in particular. Um, I'm very much of the belief these days that um, split territory deals are, are, can be quite a positive thing. Um, of course, you'd you, you'd have less um, less piece of the pie. Um, if you don't have the world, but having um, engaged labels on the ground in different territories doing their thing with their own contacts mm-hmm. um, will only help a project, especially in 2018 when there's not really borders anymore um, when releasing music. Yeah. 
So the Teskey brothers, I'm listening to a lot. We've just signed a, another act called Feir, F-I-E-H, who are a uh, Norwegian um, jazz, soul, R&B act, mm -hmm. who are insane, eight-piece, all dress in orange. Um, like you do. Yeah, like you do. And they're, <laughs> they're just, they're incredible. Um, and then, as I say, listening to a lot of stuff that, that I'm already working with. Do, you, do you think you... Was it, was it expected from your part that you would be listening to... You're still listening to music, but less music from a finding, searching, discoverer, discovering perspective. Yeah, I think that as your role changes within A&R, that's pretty normal. I think you'll find that, you know, the, the 19, 20-year-old people that back in the day were going to gigs every single night and those sort of scouts who are across all the blogs, across all the viral charts, across Shazam, etc., etc., they are the most in touch with what's out there at the moment. You're not that anymore. I'm not that. I was, I think. There was probably a year and a half, two years where I felt like I was kind of really on it, but mm -hmm. that was a long time ago, and now I kind of re rely on other people within the team and people that I, I employ. You know, A Scout, for example, Sean, who um, informs me of all that stuff, and mm -hmm. he is my filter, so there'll be a lot of stuff that I won't necessarily know, um, that he has filtered out for me that the other scouts will be aware of mm -hmm. um, and so it's sometimes funny when you have somebody who's been doing this job for as long as I have eight years in November mm -hmm. um, having a conversation with a scout and the scout kind of expects um, an A&R manager who's making seven, eight, nine records at one time to kind of be across everything and if they are unbelievable mm -hmm. because in reality that person ain't sleeping because there's not <laughs> enough hours in the day to actually give you the artists that you work with the time and attention yeah. and dedication that they require and be on top of who's playing at the old blue last on Wednesday night. Do you miss that bit of the job at all? Or is it actually quite, or getting more and more daunting as a prospect just because of just how much there is in front of you? Daunting. I think it's a bit like the scouts, you know, when you... When you um, when you join the Scouts, your goal is to kind of collect all the the little badges on your left arm. Yeah. And um, and I think that it's a bit like that. You get your Scouting badge and mm -hmm. you earn that badge. And once you've got it, you of course we're always trying to look for new stuff. But you don't necessarily have to be at gigs every single night, and you don't necessarily have to be checking the viral charts every single morning because you've got other stuff to do. Do I miss it? No. Okay. Sometimes I'll go to shows and I'll think, oh god, this is this is great, you know. Especially if you you see an act that really can do it live, and you know, text red. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and if you you know you bump in, it's always nice to bump into other people that work in the business that yeah, yeah. maybe you wouldn't normally see or think about seeing um, unless you bump into them at a show. So I do enjoy going to see music, live music, but sometimes when it's wet and cold. And I've had a long day and I'm stressed. The last thing I want to do is go and see a band. And then especially if they're not very good. I mean, do you, how much music do you listen to recreationally these days? Um, well, I'm just going to be honest with you because I could say that I'm, you know, I probably, I'm listening to less than I mm. did before I did A&R, which... Do you think that's fairly standard across the board? Because it's something that probably a lot of people don't realise. Mm, I think... Uh, I can't answer for everyone, yeah. and I'm a little bit ashamed of it that that maybe I'm not listening to enough. But um, you know, as you uh, progress in your career, you are getting older, and you have more adult things to do. 
mm-hmm. like buying houses, <laughs> getting married, becoming a parent, all those sorts of things, which take away from your ability to to necessarily kind of just listen to music for fun. Yeah. What I can say is when I do have, I'm always on, there's there's not really an off switch, so I'm always working. What people yeah. don't realise is with A&R, you know, when I get home at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, I'm still on, I'm still working. I'm still listening to mixes. Um, but rarely do I get home at nine o'clock at night and go, oh, you know, I'm going to listen to a completely new playlist because my ears are tired mm-hmm. and I need to try and sort of prepare myself for the next day to go again. Yep. Uh, but what I would say is, you know, I've got a wonderful record player that I've just set up in my house and I love nothing more than when I do have a bit of spare time, you know, with a cup of tea or whatever, putting a great record on and, uh, and enjoying it in its sort of purest form, you know? Mm-hmm. Early years. Yeah. Norwich. Yeah, Goulston-on-Sea. Yeah. How was it going from Goulston-on-Sea and then deciding I'm going to study music at university and go to London and all that sort of stuff? What was the catalyst? Oh, big question. When I, f- I mean, I, my parents were massive music fans. My dad in particular, he was a drummer, so I grew up playing, playing the drums from a very young age. Um, I was mad about sport and I was mad about music. Um, I wasn't very good at school. I wasn't very good at studying. I wanted to be out on the football pitch or I wanted to be in the music rooms smashing the drums. But um, I think when I got to about 16, I ended up doing a course in hospitality and catering. And um, it was a course that my, my father, my dad, thought would be a good direction for me to go in. And I think that's an example right there of kind of almost a small town mentality, you know. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the seaside, go and, go and study hospitality, there's loads of jobs in hospitality, hotels, restaurants, bars, etc. You'll always have a job. And I hated it and I did really badly and I, and I failed miserably. I finished it because I'm not a quitter, but I didn't enjoy it and I knew that it wasn't for me. After that, I, I, was a, I worked in a school for two years. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked as a, a teaching assistant, but by this point I was playing in a band, so I, I'd caught the bug really, I'd caught the music bug. Realised I wasn't good enough as a, a drummer to be a session drummer. Loved playing in the band with my, you know, three of my best friends at the time, but really we were stuck in a scene and you know, it was going to be a maximum four or five year thing and then I was going to have to think of something else. By this point, I was 19, 20, and I'd got to a point where I was able to actually apply myself to something. I was able to sit down at a desk and focus and, and potentially do some studying for the first time in my life, really. So that was what led to me studying. Um, that's what <laughs> led to me uh, heading to university. Did you, did you have an idea when we were at uni of which area you want? Were you one of those students that went, oh, I'm going to work in A&R? Or were you just like, let's see where this goes? By that point, I thought that A&R was this dark art, this impossible world to get into. You know, if you, if you don't have a mum or a dad who work in it, or an uncle or an auntie, and you don't live in a, um, you know, one of the key cities, London, Berlin, LA, mm-hmm. New York, I think that it can seem like a, a really tricky area to penetrate so yeah, yeah. in my head uh, you know I knew what it was and I was aware of it but a lot of people would say that it wasn't necessarily a job that um, really existed anymore and that there were many people that did it 
that kind of had been made redundant or were struggling to get get jobs in it mm-hmm. um, and also my my parents view on it because they were big fans of uh, of music and the business were sort of mainly horror stories of A&R about the sort of people that worked in A&R um, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s um, even the noughties to a certain extent and so they sort of warned me off it so right. when I got to university I was aware of it I, I knew that I had this obsession for finding new this obsession for going to see new bands before anyone else and being that person to tell my friends about the new acts but, mm-hmm. but all of my friends that I met at university yourself included were exactly the same you know we, all, we were all quite proud of the fact that we were kind of ahead of the curve and, 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 and on top of lots of new new acts and new new artists so at that point no but then there was one thing that happened whilst I was at university which opened the door for me to, to move into A&R and that was the scouting yeah. gig that you yeah. got with EMI EMI it was Relentless Records was yeah and, and whilst I was at university it was slap bang in the middle of sort of MySpace heyday and so I was doing a lot of music sharing, a lot of music, you know, following a lot of new talent and writing about new music for the first time ever, really. Um, and, and I was blogging about new music on MySpace. And I was just scouted by a scout from Relentless Records EMI who said, we'll pay you 150 quid a month. Let us know what you're listening to, what you're discovering in East Anglia, where I'm from, and Hertfordshire, where I was at university. So mm-hmm. I did that for a year. And I had a good year and found some good stuff mm-hmm. um, that they didn't necessarily go on to sign. But it was the thing I needed to give me confidence in my ears to, to know that I could potentially spot talent early. How do you do the job? Because it's not some, there's not a formula no, there's for not. it. You're kind of at the whim of your roster. So what's your personal process I think there's a certain type of person that could go in to do this job an A&R manager and kind of pick it up and and, and, and just run with it mm-hmm. and I don't think I'm that sort of person the fact that I've gone on the route that I have to do this job is the only way that I could have trained to do this job I wouldn't have had the self-confidence and arrogance to think that I could walk into this job and do it there's it, it, well, so as in the job you are in now, now so the management job but yeah it's I mean we're not really in a climate where Labels will give people that sort of opportunity, have they? Unless you've got, unless you've got a bit of a background. Yeah, I think that there there are cases where you know somebody's had some sort of success, whether they've run a very influential blog for a year or two, or whether they have managed an artist that has been hot and mm-hmm. or whatever. Sometimes these guys and girls end up falling into a quite a quite a sort of um, high level A and R role. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to name names, but no, there no, are no. people that have done it and, and they've been very successful. And uh, I, I would not have been able to do that. Okay. And so I, I, I went down the route where I started making tea. And um, like Darkest Beast, you know, one of the, the biggest legends in, in the business, he started in the post room at Island Records. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much the same for me, okay. even though I'd done the scouting role before. Um, and I made tea and I booked trains and I booked accommodation and I did it really well and I made sure that I was the person that knew everybody's name in the in the office. Mm-hmm. I, I spoke to absolutely everyone, you know, interns that were there for a week, interns that were there for six months, the president, um, marketing managers, all, all levels. And I think that that's, that's one of the key things 
and, and, and it's about sort of being socially aware of what you can and can't do. I think some people can come into an office environment and be too much, mm-hmm. and some people can, can come into an office environment and not really make enough of an impression. And it's really tricky to strike that balance because every office is different. And yeah. So it took me a while to sort of figure that out, but then I've done a number of jobs within A&R and I've learned different things. So yes, I learned how to make good tea. Yes, I, I learned you know, as an assistant how to do label copy you know, and do, and, and do R2 and do budgeting and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But then I became a scout. So then I learned how to travel, how to get, get a plane on time, how to book trains like for myself, look after myself, yeah. eat well on the road. That sort of stuff. Still Meet not new great people. with maps, though, mate. Like, not yeah. great with maps, but you know, <laughs> I, 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 I've done enough travelling now to feel confident to go to anywhere in the world and, yeah. and, and hold my own. So that wasn't something I could do eight years ago, and that's because I've grown up in the job, and and and, and you are given a level of responsibility and a yeah. level of kind of what's the word? Letting you go off and do your thing. Mm-hmm. Autonomy. Is that the word? Mm-hmm. Um, and so from being a scout, I learnt a hell of a lot. You know, also learnt. Um, I didn't sign anything for a year as a scout and that's scary as a scout because you want to get something over the line. Why, why should someone pay you? How hardcore are the, are the eyes looking over your shoulder at that point? Being at the label that I was at, I felt like it was, it was okay. Okay. I think if you were over the, over, um, uh, you know, a mainstream pop label, there's probably a little bit more pressure in terms of time. Uh, on that, you know, yeah. to, to bring something in and to, to get something over the line. I was always kind of um, backed by my by my boss, which was good, but that mm-hmm. doesn't stop me from worrying. No, no, no. Stop me but from... it is nice to have that. There's a lot of people I speak to who don't have that mm. luxury. They've never had that. They've always had, or, or they had a huge chunk of time where just their manager micromanaged too much or they're part of a big conglomerate major system where there's a lot of targets to hit a lot of pressure yeah and all that sort of stuff which is understandable because of the amount of money that's being pumped into things and all that sort of stuff so it's nice to have that yeah I guess safety net a little bit to kind of say no do it right rather than do it quickly yeah and I think we were patient you know they were patient with me I didn't sign anything for a year and then the first signing was Aurora and that you know for me that's that's still my most successful in terms of the money that it's made mm-hmm. for the company signing and so I think once you make a signing that 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 is obviously um, making waves and doing something interesting it makes the second signing and the third signing easier because people believe in you and Getting that first one over the line. Talk yeah. to anyone, any young guy or girl working in A and R, it's it's a big deal getting that first one over. Yeah. You know, and, and everyone will, will remember their first signing. So I've definitely gone down that route of kind of learning, learning as uh-huh. I go. Um, and I, I look, there's still a huge amount for me to learn yeah, yeah, yeah. in A and R, particularly contractually. You know, it's a, it's a weak area for me um, because I work within a major record label where we have people that specialise in that. So. You know, you have a guy that does that for you. Yeah, yeah, I've got three or four. So, so, so going back to the, so what is the, what, how do you go about doing it? You know, you mentioned Aurora at the moment. She's probably a good example to use. Yeah. And just, you know, what's your process in A and Ring someone like Aurora? Because I mean, the way it, you do it isn't necessarily the same way that even the other label that's involved in her does it, mm. who, or even who somebody 
else in your position. Yeah. How they would do it. Well, the big point to make here is that you A&R differently from one act to another. Mm -hmm. So the way that I A&R Aurora is vastly different to the way that I A&R The Wandering Hearts to Reese Lewis to, you know, it just... Every person, every human being, every artist is different. Mm -hmm. Every manager is different. Um, Every goal goal that an artist and an artist manager has is different. Every territory that they want to focus on is different. So it's never the same. So what has A&Ring Aurora entailed? Well, with Aurora, you know, you've got an artist who's... who I've worked with since she was 17. Mm -hmm. And even since then, she's had a very clear idea of who she is and what she's about and what she stands for, even at 17. And that debut record that she released was was us giving her a lot of control Mm -hmm. in terms of the uh, where to record, who to record with, um, and that that worked. You know, we then had more of an involvement in in song choice, and we we chose our battles. Um, With Aurora, you know, she's she's in a different country, so there was a lot of it. A lot of my A and R was actually just being around her and spending time and around her and making sure I was there. Mm -hmm. You know, when you first sign someone, you're figuring each other out. You're trying to figure out how to work with somebody, how how you're going to get the best out of them. You compare that to Reese Lewis, who who I love dearly. When I signed him, he didn't really know what he was, okay. and we didn't. And so we went on a sort of a journey together, and we're now at a point where he is super clear about who he is and what he's about. So when, I mean, that's... But that's reflective of the person he is. Yeah, I mean, but also Reese is someone who you signed really early in yeah. the journey. Yes. Yeah. So what was it about race that just made you think, yeah? I well, you it. sort of trust that, that gut feeling and that instinct. You know, I'm not the sort of A&R that really A&Rs by stats or anything. So right. I'd, I'd, I'd met Reese's uh, old manager a number of times and, and I, liked, I liked what I saw in him. And then when I met Reese, I was blown away by just how bright he was mm-hmm. and how focused he was and engaging he was. And then I went to see him and he maybe didn't have the songs, but he had the voice and he had the looks and he had the guitars and there's a lot to work with there. Mm-hmm. And there was a good team building around him, you know, great agent um, from CAA called Ben Coles. So it was enough for me to think that's worth a, that's worth a punt. So you weren't first on the, on mm. the board with Reese then? No. When it comes to, you know, everybody else... No, no, and, and you know, there's a lot of interest in Reese from other labels as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that any A and I would say, oh, you know, I do my own thing, but knowing that there is other interest in, a, in an artist does give you that kind of comfort a little bit because mm-hmm. you know you're not going mad. Yeah. Um, there's sometimes been occasions where I've found something that I love and I'll send it to a trusted source and they'll, they'll say, I don't get it, Danny. I don't think, I don't see where this fits. And it will make me question my. My 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 uh, my ears for a day, you know. How do you get? How do you personally get past that bit? We sometimes um, it happens quite quickly, and you then realise that it's not right. And sometimes you stick with it, and you kind of you know you put your money where your mouth is and do a bit of spend in development or whatever, mm-hmm. and then still realise it's not right. But sometimes something amazing comes out of it, and you're and you're and you're proved you're proved right, mm-hmm. you know. Have you ever had any struggles with confidence 
with you know when you've taken a bit of a a bashing and you're kind of thinking oh am I am I wrong here has that actually ever caused yeah significant issues I think that happens constantly in A&R from artists to songs to um, remixes to mixes to uh, masters mm-hmm. to artwork it's not even my responsibility if I see some artwork that I don't think is right you know I'll be up in the middle of the night thinking about it is this the right is this the right thing do I mm-hmm. need to mention something do I need to talk to the, the product manager and have them have another look at this so it's it's constant I, the, the responsibility of an A&R person you know it makes me laugh when people say oh well, A&Rs aren't really required anymore the responsibility in my opinion of an A&R person is to be the rock for an artist the per- the person that an artist can call at any time and say how they feel and say what how they're feeling about their music mm-hmm. you know a, a manager slightly different role they're there 24/7 to pick up the phone and and listen to the emotional uh, feelings of an artist whereas mm-hmm. it's my responsibility to pick up the phone and talk about the creative really um, and, and, and so that's how I've done my job I've always tried to have close relationships with the artists I work with and I've always tried to um, create a closeness between us so we trust each other In a time when there's a lot of talking about mental health mm. and the support stuff going on there and is there a good kind of our music companies good at supporting their their stuff from your perspective from the places that you have worked do you think that there's too much pressure in these roles because you've talked about a lot of things that kind of come to, down to down to you mm. and that can be a lot of a lot of pressure to heap on a person yeah it's a tricky one that to answer um, because I personally have I'm quite hard on myself so I, I, I give myself a hard time and for, for a number of years I was fine you know I was fine with that and then I remember probably back in January I was out in New York and um, and, and I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by it all mm-hmm. and uh, I was kind of away from my family and away from my friends and and everybody and, and, I, and, I, and I remember just the work building and building and building and I sort of had a bit of a meltdown. It was the first time where I thought, wow, I need to sort of maybe get some help here. Maybe kind of reevaluate the way that I'm doing my job. Right. And, 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 I, and I did a lot of thinking about it. And the, the conclusion I came to was what I said earlier about not, not really having an off switch. Yeah. That's not healthy. And so I think once you identify that you need to have an off switch... Is the to role do your job? What I was going to say properly. is the role a role that allows you to have an off switch because we're at a time when you know you're contactable all the time, mm. mobile phones, email, etc., etc. Your roster is from the UK, is from Europe, it's from America. Australia. So if yeah. Australia, if if they come online and go right, we need this, we need to get down on the phone, and it's three in the morning. Mm. You know, is it the kind of role that you can switch it's off? It's hard, from and for a long time, I didn't think that? for a long time I didn't think it was possible. And you know, I had lots of problems with with my my girlfriend who was going mad at me because I was never never off my phone. You know, would be 
there one evening and of an evening and, and, and I would be on my phone all night working, listening to mixes, calling people. And I think over time that, that that's really not good for yourself and for your relationships. So in the last six to eight months, I've tried to change the way that I work. And, okay. and I've, for seven and a half years, my rule to myself as an A&R was reply to every email, email you get. Whether it's a, an artist that doesn't have a, you know, isn't at a level or at a mm-hmm. point where they should be contacting you still have the kind of grace and, 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 and politeness, let's say, to go back and say, you know, no, sorry, or send me more stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, that just got too much. So in the last six months, I have made a rule that I don't, I don't reply to everyone anymore. And I still feel bad about it, but, you know, I probably don't answer to 50 to 100 emails a day now. And it has helped a lot mm-hmm. because I'm spending less time looking at this little contraption. This is evil. This is absolutely evil. <laughs> um, so, yes, I have uh, definitely struggled. Do you think I don't work in sync anymore? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same principle. So, exactly the same. I have struggled, but I came to terms with it and I've tried to, to fix it. I haven't fixed it, but I'm on the road to fixing mm-hmm. it. Do I think there's enough being done? It's getting better. Yeah. You know, there are there have been uh, courses that people can go on. There was something called Tame the Email Beast that, you know, everybody from Universal was told to go on recently. I think here's a more important question here. How are artists and artist managers, how are they at basically not thinking that you're on constantly? It, again, it depends. Yeah. It varies from artist and manager to manager. Some just get it. Some can tell. Some, you know, some I've worked with a manager before that has decided that it's perfectly appropriate to contact me on WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, email, phone call, uh, voicemails. You know, constantly, just any by any means to contact me, and it it was it was impossible. Whereas there are other people that just get it and they know that we're all busy and we're all dealing with different things and dealing with spinning many plates at once. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes it takes more than 10 minutes to to reply to an email. Um, I think that it's important for the A&R guy, if you first, and girl, if you first start working with an uh, an artist manager and you're constantly there and on call, you are are setting a precedent that that's that's how you work. And so you will be getting phone calls at 11 o'clock at night and you will be receiving mixes at 4 a.m. Um, I think the best managers sort of uh, practice the way that they preach and they will respect the way that you work and, and, and will you know mm-hmm. contact you during business hours. And I've started going back to people now and saying, look, I'm on holiday. You will not hear from me. <laughs> instead of, Leaving the phone at home. Instead of, my replies might be late. You know, you will not hear from me until I get back yeah. for my own mental health <sighs> yeah. sake. Yeah. What have you done in the past 18 months to two years that you've found the most fun? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me the most difficult. That's an easier question to answer. The most fun? Yeah. What's been the most enjoyable bit of the past? Okay. 
I was sat in uh, a Jewish delicatessen in LA having brunch with Brad from Linkin Park sat opposite uh, the lead character from Dawson's Creek <laughs> that was when I thought wow I'm working in the creative industries this is exciting <laughs> um, in what, terms of like creatively and, and whatnot, what have I enjoyed the most yeah, yeah. what bit of the job what the bit that I love is, is, is just meeting super talented people that way far more talented than me and being lucky enough to talk about their art mm-hmm. you know and, and um, that you know I feel honoured to actually be in a position to do that as a job when, when it comes to that because this is something that I speak to students about young people coming into the business that you just mentioned talking about their art and arguably you're talking to people about their art becoming a form of a commodity. You're trying to go, hey, your art's great, I'd like to sell it and make some money out of it. Is that ever a tricky conversation to have? Yes. And how do you manage that one? Uh, I think if an artist or an artist manager has got to the point where they are sat in your office at Decca Records, a major record label, they kind of have a level of expectation and they they obviously want to get their music out there mm-hmm. you know so they are open to a discussion otherwise they wouldn't they wouldn't come in for a meeting and so um, they are normally you know if you, if you talk to any artist um, or manager you know getting a record deal is a huge thing it's, yeah. a, it's a huge thing for an artist it's it's kind of you know one of the biggest things you can do stamp of approval you can get and so um, we we never really talk about it in that way and that's not how I I would I would entertain a no, creative no, conversation okay. but of course there is a part of the process within A&R of doing the deal where you have to have those conversations and you have to talk about you know royalty rates and you have to talk about options and all that sort of stuff well, I, I guess I was more getting at the sense of, I really like what you're doing, but I think if you changed it a little bit, it would be even better. And then yeah. having those sorts of conversations with a creator, yeah. with a creative, or what you're doing is brilliant. So what we're going to do is we're going to record it and then you're going to have to go out and peddle it in some way, shape or form in order to drum up business yeah. for it it's those types of conversations because a lot of creators quite rightly so they just want to create and they don't quite mm-hmm. realize the, the the amount of work that probably goes into mm. the background stuff yeah no it's true i i would probably i keep not answering your questions but or, <laughs> or deflecting them if you sign an artist and they are legit, and they are the real deal, hopefully you won't have to change what they do. Right. So when I sign something, I don't sign it to then get to work and change it. Okay. Um, but there's a difference between change and kind of uh, improve. Develop, improve and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I like to say that I can help with getting a mix 
10, 15% better. I can help with the right song choices. I can help find the right producers, the right mixers, the right mastering engineer. I can help finding the right equipment. I can help find the right consultant to come in and help with you know, vocal training. I can help with all of that, but I'm not gonna sit there and say, I love this song, but let's, let's, let's change it to a, you know, a, um, a dance track. You know this right. lovely blues track you've written. Let's 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 take the top line and do a, a dance track. I just don't I don't really work like that. Um, Are there still A and R's? Yeah, I think so. Like yeah, I think so. But I, I because of the label that I work for, um, I tr and 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 the area that I work in at Decca, I try and sign real proper artists that write their own music, have a strong sense of who they are, how they sound, how they want to be perceived. So. I want them to answer all those questions before we even talk about doing a deal. Mm -hmm. And if I feel like they've answered those questions, then potentially there's a deal to be done. But there's a lot of other questions to be answered before then, you know, the, the process that you go through to signing an artist is, is so long and drawn out and there's so many variables and so many things that can influence whether mm -hmm. you should or should not sign something. So. Again, didn't answer your question. But. Yeah, you did. You did. It's all good. So you mentioned it earlier on. Mm. What's been the toughest bit of the past two years? Yeah, this is a really easy one to answer. Really easy. Uh, we are now in a situation where a record label has an A&R team. It has a marketing team. It's always had that. But it has a, a radio plugger and it has a streaming plugger or a streaming person and they all need different things. So as an A&R, making the record and making the music, no longer am I expected to deliver an album of 12 songs on a budget. Boom, delivered, there you go. Mm -hmm. I deliver that album and they say, okay, right, well, we're gonna need, we're gonna need five acoustic tracks recorded for Spotify. And then radio say, Okay, well the two singles or the three singles that you've you've sent me here, they're good, but they're not really they're not really radio um, uh, mixes. So we need to get radio mixes done, and then uh, the Spotify st streaming guy, not Spotify exclusively, the mm -hmm. streaming guy or girl will come back and say, okay, have you got any remixes for me? Um, and then the next week they'll say. The song's not really performing quite how we expected. Can we do like an alternative mix? Can we get so I've ended up having to deliver six, you know, on the first Aurora single, seven versions of a song. Right. Of one song. For the same budget. That's the important thing. So the budgets haven't changed. They've actually probably now about the same as they've always been. Mm -hmm. But you have to deliver six or seven times the amount of content you used to. That is. Are you better prepared for that now? No, I'm still figuring it out because okay. they, you know, they're not. Oh, this sounds horrendous, but a radio person isn't an A and R person, so they will say we need something else, but they won't necessarily be able to tell you what they need. Right. And a streaming person will say, this isn't connecting, or we don't think this will connect, but we can't really tell you why. Mm -hmm. And then the marketing person will also have an opinion. You know, so there's so many cooks, and so delivery. Is, is impossible. So I would say of the last four acts I've worked on, I have never successfully just delivered a track and gone, there you are. There's always been requests for different versions. And that costs, that mm -hmm. requires contracting, 
and it requires time and energy and effort and serious listening, you know, listening back from one mix to another because it's got a hi-hat that's one dB louder in the chorus or whatever. That's the hardest thing about the job right now. Right. And it and it and that's what I, I get stressed with and that's why I get sleepless nights because I know that I'm still waiting for a remix to be delivered right. on, on a track that's already out. Okay, and you're hoping that it's going to yeah. hit the, the notes that it needs to hit and all that sort of That's stuff. the biggest stress at the moment. What, in the next six months, is the kind of the most exciting thing that's, that's ahead? Well, yeah, I mean, I've spent nine months making the Aurora album with Aurora, and she's releasing a two-part album. We've released one single, so there's going to be eight tracks followed by eight tracks. September and February next year um, and so there's you know 20 songs that we've we've recorded and they're feeling good that's and a lot of content that's a lot of content lot of stuff. that's 20 songs plus all the other versions I just mentioned to you <laughs> yeah. that's, that's expected to be delivered so. is that her idea? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. she drives that's, that's a bold way to go in, in a time of playlists and yeah. stuff like that yeah as yeah. opposed to She's the sort of artist that, 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 that streams well across the board, across okay. all her songs. And she's the sort of artist that sells physical, uh, particularly vinyl, you know, collector's items, very devoted fan base. Um, and I think with, with this, you know, she's she, releasing two albums, essentially, or two long EPs, means you have two bites of the cherry and two opportunities to create uh, activity around these releases mm-hmm. and within each release you can have two or three singles so instead of having two or three singles on a release we could essentially have six we could go to radio five or six times potentially um, over a year rather mm-hmm. than six months or eight months or whatever so uh, so I'm really excited about that I'm mm-hmm. really excited about um, the new signings the Teskey Brothers Touchwood and um, Faya Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am uh, really excited about a couple of things that I have in development as well uh, that I have been working with for a while that are just beginning to get to a, a point of sort of being ready to be heard by um, the wider world. Cool. I think that's about it. Um, did you enjoy the World Cup? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. How dejected were you? I was very. I was after the Croatia game, to um, <laughs> kind of continue with my life after it finished because there was never any football on. Did you well, watch a lot of it? I watched pretty much all of it. Yeah. So that was Danny Roberts. Massive, massive thank you to Dan for taking the time out, for having me in his office in Kensington. You can follow Dan on Twitter at DannyJNRRoberts, if you so wish. As with all the guests on here, if you're interested in getting in touch with them or anybody else, any of the previous guests, please do email me at the podcast at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Do check out Aurora. Her new album is about to drop. Do check out Fea, the new Norwegian signing for Decca. Do check out The Wandering Hearts, Reese Lewis, some of 
Danny's other signings, all cracking listens. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. See you later.